Chapter 1, Part 2 of Italian Life and Legends by Anna Cora Mowat Ritchie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. Chapter 1, Part 2 Savonarola. Upon Ascension Day of that year, the party opposed to Savonarola conspired to have his pulpit blown up by fireworks while he was preaching, but this attempt was abandoned for fear of injury to the congregation. The Harabayati then scattered all sorts of filth in the pulpit and drove sharp spikes in the places where Savonarola, in the warmth of his discourse, often struck his hands. The object of these conspirators was to raise a commotion in the hope that an opportunity to slay Savonarola would occur. The Piagnoni, a party full of gentle piety, who were friendly to Savonarola, went to the Duomo at the break of day and cleansed the pulpit and removed the spikes. Savonarola, surrounded by his armed escort, reached the Duomo in safety and commenced his sermon. Suddenly, while he was preaching, a tremendous crash was heard, and the alms chest was thrown down, drums were beaten, benches were torn up and tossed about, and the doors flung open. The Copagnacci, evil companions, with the Arabayati, had raised this alarming tumult. In the midst of this confusion, two of the Otto, eight rulers, who thought that the dignity of their office rendered their person secure, rushed forward to kill Savonarola. But his friends had already formed a circle about him and barred all approach. They conducted him triumphantly through the crowd back to the convent of St. Mark. Pope Borgia now sent his long-threatened letter of excommunication, in which everyone who would not incur the like penalty was prohibited from rendering the friar any assistance or having any communication with him. Savonarola wrote a letter declaring the excommunication to be invalid as it was based upon false charges invented by enemies. Villari says the effect of this excommunication, which was solemnly read in the cathedral, was that Profligacy was established as if by incantation. The churches were empty, the taverns full. Women came forth wearing indecent dresses, their hitherto hidden jewels. Perfumed youths went about singing carnival songs under the windows of their mistresses, who no longer blushed when hearing them. In less than one month, the days of Lorenzo the Magnificent seemed to have come back, and all thoughts of patriotism and liberty were forgotten. Meanwhile, the plague had broken out, and Savonarola was one of the most zealous and untiring of the small band who had the strength or courage to minister to the stricken. When Christmas Day arrived, his friends entreated him to ascend to the pulpit once more. He yielded and celebrated three masses upon that day at St. Mark, and the first Sunday in Lent, 
February 1498, again appeared in the pulpit of the Duomo. The Archbishop of Florence, Leonardo de' Medici, threatened to withhold the communion and burial in consecrated ground for anyone who was present at Savonarola's discourse. But the Signoria showed their resentment by intimating to the Archbishop that he must resign his office within two hours, or he would be declared to be a rebel. This year there was a second bonfire of vanities upon the Piazza della Signoria, in spite of the violent opposition of the Capinacci. The pyramid was surmounted by a figure of Lucifer, surrounded by representation of the seven mortal sins. The conflagration was even greater than on the previous year. After this, the Pope wrote a violent letter to the Signoria, threatening to excommunicate the whole city if Savonarola was permitted to preach. The Signoria, the officers of which were changed every two months, had no alternative, and sent an order to Savonarola requesting him to deliver no more sermons. The next day, which was the third Sunday in Lent, he took an affectionate leave of the people, informing them of the order he had received. About this time a singular event took place, which suddenly turned the capricious current of public opinion against Savonarola. Francesco di Puglia, preaching in the Church of Santo Spirito, denounced Savonarola's doctrines as heretical, and challenged him to the ordeal by fire affirming that if Savonarola were truly a servant of the Lord, a miracle would certainly be wrought in his behalf, and he would issue from the flames unharmed, but if he were burned, his impostures would be made manifest, and the people would be awakened from their pernicious delusion. The Francescan monk asserted that he was prepared to perish himself, for the sake of putting Savonarola to the test. Savonarola, to the surprise and dismay of his adherents, refused the challenge. He replied that he had other work to do, and that he did not feel himself called upon to undergo this ordeal. But when Savonarola declined, his heroic friend, Fra Domenico, who was gifted with a stolid fortitude, which defied physical pain, rose up and boldly accepted the challenge. Savonarola rebuked him and argued with him in vain. At last, seeing his unflinching resolution and perfect faith in the triumph that awaited him, the conviction was forced upon Savonarola that Fra Domenico must be acting under the prompting of inspirations, and that the Lord would guard him through the fire. The Franciscan monk, who had evidently anticipated Savonarola's refusal, rejected Fra Domenico as a substitute, and proclaimed that he would only undergo the ordeal with Savonarola. But Fra Domenico was resolved, and the Signoria felt bound to urge Francesca di Puglia to consent. For all the friars of St. Mark, 
and of the dominican convent of fiesole had offered to pass through the fire and had compelled savonarola to make known their wishes to the signoria and to desire that body to select one of the dominican order for every minoret who would accept the challenge the excitement rose to such a pitch that men women and even children in crowds offered themselves as candidates to pass through the flames the seventh of april was fixed upon for the trial fra giallano randinelli was accepted to accompany fra domenico francesco di puglia who had given the challenge held himself in readiness he said to enter the flames with savonarola but with him only the city was in a state of frenzied enthusiasm to witness the proposed spectacle upon the famous piazza della signoria lay the pile of faggots woods sprinkled with gunpowder oil and resinous substances it was eight feet long ten feet wide at the base and five feet high in the middle was a passage two feet wide through which the champions were to pass when the mace-bearers of the signoria announced that the hour for the trial had arrived the friars of st mark immediately went forth in procession fra domenico walked between his brethren malatesta sacromoro and francesco salviati he was perfectly confident and eager for the test he wore a bright red velvet cape and carried a tall cross savonarola followed them in a white robe bearing the sacrament the piazza was thronged and the windows balconies and roof of the surrounding houses perilously crowded a body of three hundred infantry had been stationed in front of the loggia de lanzi commanded by maracuccio salviati a faithful adherent of savonarola but there were also five hundred compagnacci savonarola's bitterest foes under the leadership of the brutal dolfo spini and five hundred of the infantry of the signoria stationed in front of the palace thus there were a thousand armed men masters of the piazza all ready to offer any indignity to savonarola or even to do him any personal injury the monks of st mark had taken their appointed places but francesco di puglia and giellano randellinelli had not yet made their appearance they were in the palace holding a secret conference with the signoria the minorite friars now began to invent causes for delay and if possible to raise up obstacles to the ordeal they ordered the director of the ordeal to say that the red cape of fra domenico might have been charmed by savonarola and must be removed fra domenico at once took off the suspected cape then the minorites said that his gown might have been charmed fra domenico willingly consented to lay it aside he was taken into the palace and put on the dress of the dominican alexandro strozzi after this the minorites would not allow him near savonarola 
expressing a fear that the latter might renew his incantations. The crowd, which had been waiting, eagerly expectant for many hours, now became impatient at the delay, and their murmuring soon broke out into a tumult. The Arabarati agreed amongst themselves that they would take advantage of any disorder to seize Savonarola and put him to death. They made the attempt, but Salviati kept his soldiers close before the loggia, and, drawing a line on the ground with his sword, cried out, Whoever passes this line will find what the weapon of Marcuccio Salviati can do. Order was hardly restored when a violent storm of thunder and lightning broke over the heads of the people and threatened to put an end to the trial. But the populace were too pertinaciously determined to behold the spectacle to stir from their places. They remained unmoved, pouring of rain unexpectedly ceased. The Minorites now requested that Fra Domenico would lay down the crucifix he held in his hand. He complied, and Savonarola substituted the sacrament. The Minorites violently protested. To bear the consecrated host into the flames would be a sacrilege and could not be permitted. Savonarola and Fra Domenico refused to yield this point, and an argument arose between them and the Minorite friars, who were rejoiced at the delay. The Signoria took advantage of this dispute to order that the trial should not take place. The populace were thrown into a state of indignant fury and disappointment, and turned their wrath upon Savonarola. Even his own party maintained that, others failing, he ought to have walked alone through the fire, and miraculously exhibited his supernatural powers. His enemies openly accused him of cowardice, and of having been proved an impostor. Friends and foes wanted to see a miracle. They would have a miracle. And if Savonarola were a man of God, a miracle must be wrought in his person. But for the brave soldiers of the noble Salviati, with their drawn swords, defended Savonarola and from Domenico against the enraged mob, they would not have reached the convent of St. Mark alive. Savonarola had worked no miracle. He had cheated his disciples out of the wondrous spectacle every heart palpitated to behold. From that hour he was torn from the pedestal to which popular love and gratitude had raised him. Who cared that the city had owed its freedom and its purification from the worst abuses to him? Or that he had taught the Florentines how to frame their new government? or that when others had fled from the pestilence, he had tended the plague-streaken with never-flagging devotion, or that his voice had consoled the starving and kept alive their dying hopes when gaunt famine stalked the streets, or that he had rescued their fair city from the depredations and violence of the French army and prevailed upon the French king to take his departure, what were all the friars' benefactions if he could work no miracle, if he would not even trust his body to the flames? Not only did the Menorite friars consider themselves the victors, 
though their champion had not even appeared upon the piazza, but the signoria awarded them an annual pension of sixty lira for seventy years as reward for the services they had rendered. The friars of the convent of St. Mark could not appear in the streets without being insulted, called hypocrites and impostors, and having stones thrown at them. On the afternoon of Palm Sunday, the 8th of April, the convent of St. Mark was attacked by a mob, headed by the Arab Barati. The people who were attending Vespers in the church were assaulted by a volley of stones. The church was rapidly vacated and the doors of the convent barred. Savonarola's small band of remaining friends, in numbers of about thirty, stationed themselves within to defend the convent. Foreseeing the danger, they had concealed weapons in a small chamber in the cloister, unknown to Savonarola. They armed sixteen of the friars, who presented a most singular appearance, with helmets on their heads, halberts in their hands, and cuirasses over their long Dominican gowns. While the assailants were thundering at the doors, Savonarola implored his self-constituted defenders to lay down their arms and proposed to give himself up without delay. Neither his secular friends nor the friars would listen to this suggestion. Soon the mace-bearers arrived with a proclamation from the signoria, ordering everyone in the convent to surrender and announcing that Savonarola was banished and must leave within twelve hours. The fury of the attacking party increased. They set fire to the doors, while some scaled the walls and got into the cloisters. They sacked the infirmary and the cells, and entered into the sacristy, breaking open the doors of the choir, where Savonarola and his followers were at prayer. The friars struck at the intruders with their lighted candles and crucifixes, putting them to sudden flight, for they believed themselves attacked by a company of angels. In spite of Savonarola's entreaties, new encounters with the assailants followed. The convent bell was tolled, and every moment the tumult heightened. The convent seemed to be gaining the victory when a new proclamation was received from the Signoria, stating that all who did not leave the convent within the hour would be considered rebels and now the tide of war changed and the assailants were triumphant. And Giovacchino del Vecchia, who commanded the palace guard, threatened to destroy the convent buildings with his artillery if Savonarola, Fra Domenico, and Fra Salvestro were not given up. Savonarola's friends entreated him to escape by being let down the wall on a side that had not been reached by his adversaries, but Savonarola chose to surrender. So did his faithful friend, Fra Domenico. Fra Silvestro concealed himself and was not found until the next day. Villari thus describes the scene. The two friends had no sooner come down into the cloisters than the mob, pressing around them, gave a shout of ferocious joy. All were now insane with rage. It was eight o'clock in the evening, the dense mob looked like a tumultuous sea of helmets, cuirasses, swords, and spears, from which the light of lanterns and torches was dimly reflected. The people gazed on Savonarola with threatening looks, and, holding up their lanterns to his face, exclaimed, 
This is the true light. They scorched and burned his face with their flambeau, saying, Now for a turn of the key. They twisted his fingers and beat him, insultingly calling out, Prophecy now to us, who it is that beat you. So great was their fury that the guards could with difficulty protect him by crossing their arms and shields over him. When they had reached the palace, the two friars were brought before the gonfalonieri to be interrogated. He asked if they asserted that their words came from God, and when they replied in the affirmative, caused them to be thrown into separate cells. On the morrow, Fra Silvestro was seized and incarcerated. On the 11th of April, the Signoria appointed a committee of seventeen examiners to conduct the trial of the three monks, and gave permission for the use of torture. Among this committee were the deadliest, most open enemies of Savonarola. Piero Dieglia Alberti, who exhibited fierce hatred on the day of the ordeal, and Dolfo Spini, the ferocious leader of the Campagnacci, who headed the tumult on the Ascension Day, and also when the convent was attacked, who had tried to kill Savonarola by means of hired assassins, who had even made the attempt with his own hands and had been frustrated by Savonarola's guard of friends. Savonarola was questioned, and, remaining firm in his replies, the unhappy friar, in spite of his delicate and debilitated frame, his sensitive nature and nervous temperament was at once subjected to the torture of the hoisting rope. In this kind of torture, a rope is attached to a pulley on a high pole. The victim has his hands tied behind his back and the end of the rope wound around his wrist. He is then repeatedly drawn up and let down suddenly by the executioner. The arms drawn up backwards are made to describe a semicircle. The pain of the torn muscles and fibers is excruciating. The agony often produces delirium and, if protracted, death. The Savonarola had a shuddering fear of physical pain that he was unable to support its effects. It would be impossible to deny. He had high mental courage but his physique lacked all power of resistance and was keenly susceptible to outward impressions. As soon as he was subjected to torture, his mind began to wander, his answers were incoherent, and he wailed out in his paroxysm of agony, O oh Lord, take, oh, take my life. The executioner stated that he had never seen anyone on whom the torture produced so immediate and so severe an effect. During a month, he was repeatedly tortured, and the historians Pico and Bulamaki testify that he was drawn up by the rope. Live coals were applied to the soles of his feet. There seems to have been no doubt in the minds of the historians of that day that the minutes of his examination during torture were grossly falsified. They are in many instances contradictory and sometimes unintelligible. They represent Savonarola denying, in his agony, that he spoke from divine inspiration, or had visions, or prophesied, and then reasserting that these things were true. 
he was much lowered in the estimation of his few remaining disciples by his incapacity to endure the torture and remain coherent and firm in his declarations but in spite of all his delirious ravings and in spite of the transparent falsification of the minutes the signoria found to their dismay that savonarola could not be proved guilty of any charge brought against him they had succeeded in humiliating him and wholly destroying the fate reposed in him by his followers this was their only triumph yet it was one of importance for it rendered his condemnation easier savonarola was compelled before eight witnesses to sign the copy of his own dispositions but Bernamaki asserts that one copy was read to him and then a different one was dexterously substituted for his signature during his respite from torture villari says his troubled and wearied mind soon took direction of mystical contemplations his prison became peopled by supernatural creations by invisible beings and when once carried off to that world every other thought vanished from his mind in these moments he forgot all the horrors he had undergone forgot his lacerated limbs his insatiable persecutors his prison walls and imagined himself in the pulpit of the duomo his pen was not idle and he wrote his last meditations or sermons taking for his text the psalmist's words in thee o lord do i put my trust let me never be confounded pope borgia sent on two commissioners to examine savonarola under fresh torture on the twentieth of may he was cruelly interrogated before them on the twenty-first the torture was repeated and he was ordered to appear upon the twenty-third to hear his sentence as the minutes of this examination more clearly proved the innocence of savonarola than the previous ones had done they were not signed nor printed nor publicly read according to the established custom sentence of death was hastily passed upon the three friars without a single accusation against them having been proved savonarola begged to be allowed to see his condemned brethren the friars met for one last time after forty days of imprisonment and torture the undaunted and immovable fra domenico had borne the most severe tortures without flinching never betraying his sufferings and never wavering in his assertions fra silvestro who was a natural somnambulist and whose organization was if possible even more sensitive than that of savonarola had yielded at once to his persecutors to escape the agony he could not endure had admitted or denied whatever was required of him after the interview savonarola on returning to his cell quickly fell asleep it is related that during his sleep he seemed to dream that he smiled and his countenance expressed the most perfect serenity the next morning he administered the sacrament to the two friars and took the communion himself at the close of the ceremony it was announced to the condemned that they were to be conducted to the piazza del signoria that piazza where the little children taught by savonarola had substituted hymns for the licentious carnival songs 
had solicited alms for the poor, instead of waylaying the passers-by, and emptying his purse to spend its contents in feasting and carousing. That piazza where Savonarola had built for them the pyramid upon which their earnest young hands had laid the vanities they had collected from the penitent, and made them into a bonfire. Three tribunals had been erected on the Ringiera. The first, next to the door of the palace, was appropriated to the Bishop of Azova, the second to the Pope's commissioners, the third was occupied by the Golfonier, mayor, and the Otto, eight rulers. In front was a scaffold supporting an upright beam, holding another beam, near the top at right angles. An arm of this beam had been truncated to diminish its resemblance to a cross. From the beam were suspended three halters and three chains. At its foot lay a large heap of combustible materials. The friars were sentenced to be hanged from the halters. The chains were then to be wound around their bodies, which were to be suspended until consumed. The three friars, when they had descended the stairs of the palace, were ordered to lay aside their gowns. Their scanty woolen under-tunics alone remained. Their feet were bare. Savonarola showed great emotion when he received this insulting command, but resistance would have been fruitless. He obeyed, saying, Holy dress, how much I long to wear thee! Thou wast granted to me by the grace of God, and to this day I have kept thee spotless. I do not now leave thee, thou art taken from me. Their hands were then tied and they were led out into the piazza, up to the first tribunal, where the bishop of Asilva was seated. The bishop was compelled to obey the orders of the pope, but he appeared to be greatly agitated, for he loved Savonarola, and had been one of his disciples. He pronounced the funeral ceremony with a feeble and broken voice. The gowns of the friars were restored to them, that they might be first degraded, and then have their sacred vestments removed for the last time. It is said that the bishop's presence of mind so completely forsook him that he forgot the words of the formula, and, taking hold of Savonarola's arm, he exclaimed, I separate thee from the church militant and triumphant. Savonarola electrified the bystanders by solemnly replying, Militant, yours is not triumphant. The gowns of the friars having been stripped off in token of the degradation, they were led up to the Pope's commissioners, from whom they heard their sentence as heretics. Then they were placed before the Otto, who, according to the established custom, put the sentence to the vote and passed it without an opposing voice. The condemned were then conducted to the scaffold. Savonarola's composure was never once disturbed, and his companions were equally calm. The ferocious mob hooted and jeered at them and gave utterance to all manner of contumely, but the martyrs continued as serene as though the revilings were unheard. Savonarola's last words were, The Lord has suffered as much for me. The two friars were executed first. 
The halter suspended from the center of the beam was left for Savonarola. When he mounted the scaffold, after witnessing the death of his companions in persecution, he saw the people, with lighted torches, crowding eagerly to the beam, impatient to light the fire before the spirit had escaped. A voice from the crowd cried out, Prophet, now is the time to perform a miracle. The executioner, to please the brutal mob, indulged in audible jokes. While the body of Savonarola was yet alive and quivering, he made a great haste, hoping the fire would reach the martyr before life was extinct. But owing to this very speed, the chain, which he was trying to wind around the body, slipped from his hand, and during the brief delay occasioned by his efforts to recover it, Savonarola passed into the eternal world. He died in the forty-fifth year of his age. This martyrdom took place at ten o'clock in the morning, on the 23rd of May, 1498. At first a current of wind turned away the flames from the three bodies. Then the fickle populace, easily swayed by the most trifling incident, cried, A miracle! A miracle! But the wind soon fell, and the flames rose and enveloped the bodies. Still the morbidly excited imaginations of the people made them eager to discover some miraculous token, and when the flames caught the cords by which the hands of Saranarola were pinioned and the heat caused the hand to move, they declared that he had raised his right arm in the midst of the flames to bless his enemies, who were burning him. His disciples fell upon their knees, sobbing wildly, and men and women lamented aloud. The Arabarati could not endure this sight. They hired little children to make a noise and dance, and throw stones at the burning bodies. The favorite barbarous game of stone-throwing, which Savonarola had partially abolished, was thus re-established in the presence of his corpse, and was entered into with so much zest that large pieces of flesh were cut from their bodies by the sharp stones and fell hissing into the flames beneath. Many ladies, disguised as servants, made their way through the crowd to the scaffold to gather up relics. But the soldiers of the Signoria drove them back. The Signoria, fearing that the very ashes of the martyrs might be made to work some miracle, had them collected and thrown over the Ponte Vecchio into the Arno. But even there those ashes did not prove inaccessible. Villari tells us that young Pico della Mirandola, although an eminent scholar and learned in philosophy, believed that he had been able to pick up from the Arno a part of Savonarola's heart and he asserted that he again and again had had experience of its miraculous effects in curing many diseases and exercising malignant spirits. Henceforth, the friars of the convent of St. Mark's were relentlessly persecuted by the Arabiati, who were now masters of the city they were robbed under various pretexts and deprived of their privileges and freedom to show to what an absurd extent the arabiati carried their animosity we cannot forbear mentioning that after much deliberation they declared the great bell of the convent 
which went by the name of Pianona, guilty of having told on the day of the tumult, and they accordingly banished it from Florence. It was taken down and carried without the city in a cart and publicly whipped by the hangman with as much gravity as though all who witnessed the punishment actually believed that it was endowed with sensation. Only a few years later, when the Spanish army had replaced the Medici in power over Florence, when all Italy was scourged, when Clement the Seventh became Pope, and Charles V sacked the Eternal City, when churches were converted into barracks for soldiers and stables for horses, the prophecies of Savonarola seemed fulfilled to the letter. Men never tired of pointing out how the events he had foretold literally came to pass. His sermons were in everyone's hand, and the convent of St. Mark became the powerful center of the most faithful friends of liberty and lovers of their native land. Well might Mrs. Browning say of Savonarola, "'Tis true that when the dust of death has choked a great man's voice, the common words he said turn oracles." End of chapter 1, part 2